Hey guys, just a quick update about the book. Volume 1 of A Dragon Tamer's Fable is now available on all major ebook platforms, and the print version will be following shortly. If you've been wanting to read a physical copy of a DTF, the long wait is now over. Check out the link to the website in the show notes. Welcome back to A Dragon Tamer's Fable. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please do. This is a full-length novel, and you're going to get lost if you don't start with the prologue. In chapter 58, Tanner's father attempts the unthinkable. In this episode, chapter 59, part 1, Navali is given an incredible gift by her grandfather. Alright, let's dive in. The skilled tamers crouched in the darkened woods. An owl hooted, and twigs snapped up ahead. Silent as mice, they snuck through the undergrowth and slipped rope garrot over the heads of two nin. Their choking was so powerful that the nin couldn't speak, and after several moments of struggling, they collapsed to the ground. Vivin and Alice examined their armor. Mismatched overall, however, they both wore the same black helmet. The tamers threw the bodies over their shoulders, it was a genuine struggle for Alice, and tossed them down in a clearing. Ember and Kaylee flew off with the corpses to dispose of them. Alice and Vivin jogged through the trees with the helmets in hand. Infiltrating the cave system went as smoothly as they hoped. The Dragon Tamer's council had guessed at the location of Malum's whereabouts for some time, and Alice and Vivin had narrowed it down. So far, it seemed like their educated guess had been right. Torches illuminated the dripping tunnels. Dragons undoubtedly occupied the cave system at one point. They could tell by the sheer size of the tunnels. The Tamers were searching for a guarded door somewhere. However, every wooden door they passed was unprotected. They acted nonchalant as they passed Nen soldiers. The matching helmets they carried gave Vivin and Alice a firm answer. Malum was forming an army. Once or twice, they were given strange looks for wearing the helmets indoors, but they simply ignored suspicious stares and moved onward. Alice knew she could remember each turn they took to reach the massive chamber they were currently in. She noted chains on the ground. Otherwise, the cavern was empty. Or so she thought. They took several cautious steps forward, and a shadowed figure appeared from the far end of the chamber. Can I help you with something? The man asked. No, we were just leaving. Vivin replied calmly. He turned toward the exit. However, Alice didn't budge. She recognized the man from somewhere. Before Vivin could stop her, she drew her sword. The man smiled, and Vivin pressed his own memory. Who was he? My men don't simply wander in here without a purpose. I have a purpose. Alice removed her helmet, and it clattered against the stone floor. She gripped her sword, holding it in front of her. Ah, Miss Wrightsmith, I should have guessed. Where is he? Alice growled. The man scratched a scar on his jaw. Who? As she moved forward, Vivin withdrew his longsword as well. He still couldn't place the man. Your boss, don't play dumb, Alice snapped as the man retreated several paces. Oh, he isn't here. We've known for some time that the Cayenne were aware of this location. He left me here, just in case someone like you showed up. How unlucky it is for you that I found you, and not someone else. Alice nearly had him backed against a wall. Perhaps. However, you'll never escape from this hideout. The soldiers left here were tasked to make an example of whoever infiltrated. 
Alor is going to be devastated when your heads are all that's left of you. He drew his sword and whistled sharply. Alice lunged and began to duel, while Vivin turned his back to guard her. Two soldiers appeared, and Vivin slashed them down. Three more followed, and Vivin kicked one down, fighting off the other two. Allie, he shouted. He jammed his longsword through the weak links in their armor. Vivin could hear another group of soldiers running toward the cavern. He dashed over to Alice, and they both fought the man. He wasn't skilled enough to hold them off. He dove to the left and raced out of the cavern through another entrance. Alice was hot on his heels, and Vivin glanced over his shoulder as he followed her. Close to a dozen soldiers had accumulated and chased them with their weapons drawn. He sheathed his sword and threw off his helmet. Vivin caught up to Alice, who was hunting the man down like a wolf on a hare. Who is he? Vivin panted. Alice's eyes remained locked on her target. That's the assassin who tried to murder you. That was it. Vivin recalled the posters the sketch artist had drawn and the bounty on the man's head. It had been an embarrassment that they hadn't found him, and now Alice was going to kill him. Vivin saw the entrance to the cave. Kaylee, get ready. As they raced outside toward the forest, Kaylee landed behind them and unfurled her flamethrower into the mouth of the cave. Screams of agony echoed across the clearing. It happened in an instant. Ember crashed to the ground in front of them and blocked the assassin's route, and Alice threw a dagger from her thigh sheath. It plunged into the man's back, between his shoulder blades. Ember gave an earth-shattering roar and snapped her jaws around the human. Alice strode over and wrenched her silver dagger from the assassin's back. He groaned and choked on his own blood. Ember's glistening teeth penetrated further into the man's body. Alice held the tip of her dagger at the man's throat as he sputtered blood. Where is he? With a groan of pain, he breathed. I'll never tell. I should cut out your tongue, Alice threatened coolly. Vivin and Kaylee stood behind them, watching quietly. Vivin had an awful feeling that the only reason why Alice didn't carry out her idea was because he was present. Just kill me. The assassin coughed blood onto Ember's navy blue feathers. Without a word, the dragon released her jaws, and the human sank to his knees. The bones in his torso were crushed. His organs were punctured and bleeding out. Ember ran her forked tongue along her pointed teeth, cleaning off his blood. I have no desire to be so merciful. Alice planted her foot on his chest and held her dagger in front of his face. I'm not going to talk, the man wheezed, barely alive. I know you're not. Alice gazed into his eyes for a moment and quickly plunged her dagger through the base of his jaw. She kicked his torso and he crumpled over, bleeding out onto the dewy grass. Ember took the liberty of ripping his head free from his body. They would need proof of his death and Imperior. Alice wiped her dagger clean on her pants and sheathed it. I'm glad I have that off my mind. And sorry, Kaylee. You probably wanted to do that. The blush-colored dragon remained silent. She deeply respected Alice's passion for her tamer. However, she sensed that Vivin was somewhat unsettled. He cleared his throat. <sighs> well, we don't know where Malum is. Still, I doubt anyone here would have that information anyway. Their surplus, left behind to give us a scare. Speaking of which, there's probably more of them. You're hurt, 
Alice exclaimed with worry. Her eyes traveled from his fingers, from which blood dripped, up his arm to the stab wound that pierced his leather armor. It's a scratch. I'm all right, Vivin assured her. The seasoned tamer searched his eyes for a moment. She realized that at some point, his hair had changed from black to salt and pepper. The stubble on his jaw was the same, and there were wrinkles around the corners of his eyes. I'm sorry, she murmured, almost to herself. Vivin was taken aback. Sorry? For what? For dragging you out here. You probably would have been happier doing something else. Vivin was surprised by the shimmer of regret in her eyes. He put an arm around her shoulders and kissed her temple. I busted a few heads with my girl. I couldn't be happier. They heard shouting from the cave and hastily retreated. Who knew how many more troops were laying in wait? What's that? Sebastian inquired. Vivin was fiddling with a small object between his thumb and forefinger. Ryan had been on duty, so the head guard found a quiet spot to sit and think. Seb sat next to him on the bench. It overlooked the largest courtyard, which had a lovely garden and fountain piece. Vivin cleared his throat. <clears throat> it's a ring. A ring? Seb echoed. Vivin gazed at the black object between his fingers. Allie gave it to me yesterday. I've just been trying to figure out what it means. They had returned from their vacation several days prior. He passed the ring to Seb, who inspected it thoughtfully. Tungsten. It's one of Theo's. Seb handed it back to the older man. How do you know? Seb leaned over and pointed out the small T engraved on the inner part of the band. It's his signature. Charles does the same with his. CB. Huh. Well, I guess that makes another person who knows about it. You aren't going to wear it? Seb asked curiously. Well, I don't know. I gave Allie a ring years ago, symbolically. I don't know why she's given me this now. Sebastian twisted the gold band on his ring finger. Theo managed to repair it after it had been dented by the dragon attack. It means she loves you. Vivin shook his head and leaned back on the bench. Women are never that simple. It means something more. Seb considered this. Maybe this is her way of hinting that she wants to get married. Vivin pushed the black band onto his ring finger. The last time he had worn one was... Yeah, maybe. I wanted to thank you for submitting your report so promptly. I saw it on my desk this morning. It's a shame we don't know where they've relocated to. But now we can focus on preparing for a battle. Or possibly... Seb trailed off. He didn't want to say the W word. I have a feeling it won't be anytime soon. No? Seb murmured. Vivin shook his head and stood, stretching his limbs. What makes you say that? Sebastian followed him back inside the marble citadel. Just a feeling in my bones. Kaylee agrees with me. We still have time to prepare. Seb walked with his hands in his pockets and murmured, But how much time? Mm -hmm. 
Tanner settled in nicely at the palace. He was well-mannered and obedient, and rather quiet and shy. He and Navalli were fairly similar in that way. However, their personalities didn't spark to form an immediate friendship. While Navalli was rigorously studious, Tanner was struggling to finish his homework on top of everything else. The little boy was amazed at what the royal children managed to squeeze into a day. Odax especially. He had his classes and homework, piano and vocal lessons, dance once a week, hunting with his father, and taming ale. Odax also formed a junior, Tamer Ball team, which was essentially a game of keep it up. He even organized teams within the palace children. At first, Tanner wondered how Odax could possibly fit playing with him into his schedule. Then, he realized, the regent prince had set aside time for him. Sometimes, Odax must have dropped whatever he was doing just to spend time with Tanner. The little boy took it to heart. Lord Oril had heard of Magnitectus's newest addition from Felicita's letters. The brown-haired, blue-eyed boy bowed timidly to the king of Romofsi. Lord Oril's ears twitched with amusement. There's no need for that. He was quickly barraged with hugs from the other children, all of whom bubbled with excitement at his arrival. The Elvish King promised that he would meet them all in the library once he had settled into his room. He held back Navelli, however. Princess Felista, Kael, and Ren lingered behind, speaking with Grimmin and the other elves. I have a gift for you, Valley. Lord Oriel crouched down to be closer to her eye level. The beautiful little girl cocked her head. But it isn't my birthday. This gift is rather unusual. It cannot wait until then. He gently poked between her brows when they scrunched in confusion. He summoned one of his guards, who brought him a silver chest. It caught the adult's attention. Go on, open it. Navali's eyes were round with wonder. Her grandfather held on to the silver chest while she turned the lock and opened the lid. She stepped back in astonishment. Inside the chest, which was lined with violet velvet, was a glossy dragon egg. Felicita's jaw dropped, and Kyle froze. This is for me? Navali asked in awe. It is. An elvish princess should have an elvish dragon, should she not? Navali touched the smooth surface of the egg. Her grandfather encouraged her to pick it up, and she did so. It's heavy, she murmured. Her pale ears twitched with curious excitement. It should be. There is a little life in there. Remember that and be very careful with it. The Romofsian king closed the lid and stood. Navali hurried over to her parents to show them the Kelly green egg. The little girl was far too delighted to notice their discomfort. Kyle reminded her not to run with it, and she went to show the other children. You didn't consider asking us first, did you? Felicita was aghast. She and her husband were in Lord Oral's guest room, where he stood with his arms folded across his chest. A grandfather should not have to consult a child's parents for a gift. A dragon egg, she cried in exasperation. A gift is jewelry, clothing, toys, not a wild creature that needs to be tamed. Feli, her brother and the Alor children have their own dragons. Lumen is younger than her, as well. It would be best for them to raise their dragons together. You would not want her to be left behind, would you? The princess rolled her eyes, something she hadn't done before residing with humans. 
Ancestors forbid that she goes without. She is a brilliant little girl with a good head on her shoulders. She would have learned patience and appreciated her dragon all the more when she found it naturally. The elf's ears twitched with anger, and her face was flushed. Kyle remained silent, though he regarded his wife with concern. It would be inappropriate for her to have a Rhydonian dragon fully. Despite your choice to keep her here, she belongs in Romofsi, to its culture, where she will rule. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Felicita turned to the tall, handsome elf. Her greatly vexed expression made him choose his words carefully. Thank you for thinking of Nevi and her future. Felicita pursed her lips, and he quickly added, However, I agree that you should have spoken to us prior. She is diligently studying and casting Venefi. I would have preferred it if she focused on that before taming as well. I understand. By all means, withhold the egg. Felicita clenched her fists. She despised her father when he acted in such a manner. He was too accustomed to having his own way and meeting no defiance. Surely you would have outlived pettiness by this age. She seethed. My objective in all of this was to be fair, not petty. The elvish king kept his composure. Fair? Felicita was hurt. Dad, how do you think Zay feels about this? It is far from fair. I know Navali is more precious to you than he is, but Philly. The king growled, and outrage flashed across his face. Kyle took Felicita's wrist, since her fists were bald, and gently but firmly led her out of the room. She waited until they were out of earshot from her cousin to hiss. Why did you do that? I wanted to. No good will come from discussing it with him now. Kyle cut her off. You are far too hot-headed, and he is too stubborn. What's done is done, Philly. She folded her arms across her chest with a thundering expression. It made her husband anxious. However, he remained expressionless. I cannot believe him. He had no right to do that. He did the same for you, did he not? Kyle said quietly. I recall him reserving an egg for you for well over two decades with the hope that you would be a tamer. That was different. It was no different. He is treating Nivi the same way he treated you, Fully. Felicita searched his eyes for a moment, then looked away. Zay will not take it well. Could you imagine? She massaged her temples. Put yourself in his shoes, Kai. Kyle wasn't happy about Lord Orel's actions either. He understood the main reason why the king chose to do it in such a manner. If he had brought the idea before them, they would have refused it. While the other adults felt awkward about the silent feud between the Elvish family, Sebastian was put into a particularly difficult position. He wanted to seem overjoyed in front of Navali, and since he was the great tamer, she asked him a myriad of questions. He sympathized with Felicita and didn't want his reaction to seem one-sided. Tanner found himself constantly amazed at the palace. His Romofsian lessons weren't going as well as Nida would have liked, and he could only pick out a few words in the conversation. He wanted to touch the dragon egg, to examine it closer. It was his first time seeing one, and it was perfectly beautiful. He tore his gaze from the glossy green egg to the crowned prince, who was sitting in front of the fire and hugging his knees. Odax was sitting next to him and attempting a conversation. Zayrid wasn't listening. He simply stared into the fire, expressionless. 
Tanner considered going over and trying to cheer up the prince. He didn't quite understand what was bothering him, but he knew it had something to do with Princess Nivali and her egg. Suddenly, Zerid pushed himself to his feet and left the room. Odax went after him at once, and Tanner stole a look at Princess Felicita. She seemed terribly unhappy. Tanner decided to hurry after the boys. He followed Odax's echoing voice down the corridors to the largest courtyard. Kuror was standing in front of his tamer, with his tail swishing irritably. Ale landed as Tanner approached them. He overheard the crown prince saying the words, unfair and reject. Tanner didn't know the meaning of the word. Odax gripped his friend's arms and tried to calm him down, and Zerid pushed him away. Kuror growled, his tail lashing. What's going on? Tanner asked innocently. Odax shoved his hands into his pockets. Their grandpa gave Valley an egg and didn't do the same for Zay. She's supposed to find her egg, the prince grumbled, folding his arms across his chest. A cool autumn wind gusted through the courtyard. Tanner cleared his throat. Mm-mm. But you didn't either, did you? I heard that you were given an egg from a dragon that Seb helped. The boys stared at Tanner, and he added, So I don't see why you're getting so upset. The humans didn't have time to react. Kruor snapped his jaws and charged Tanner. The little boy backpedaled and fell, with no hope of avoiding the dragon's attack. Ale leapt in front of Tanner and raised her wings and forepaws. Kruor halted and arched his back, growling deeply at her. Their tamers shouted for the dragons to settle, while Tanner remained frozen to the spot. Just as Ale was forced backward and nearly stepped on the little boy, he was pulled out of the way. Sebastian hurriedly carried Tanner to a bench and set him down, and ran in between the snarling dragons. No verbal words were exchanged. The great tamer merely placed a hand on Kruor's scaly chest, and locked eyes with the fearsome creature. Tanner watched as the dragon's eyes slowly dilated, and the black and scarlet dragon backed off. Are you hurt? Seb ran to Tanner and began checking him over. Tanner hadn't noticed the torn, bloody skin on his palms, which broke his fall. I I'm, I'm okay. The little boy found himself lifted to the king's shoulder as if he had a feather's weight. Seb strode back across the clearing and shooed off both dragons, who were nearly the size of horses. He ordered the two princes to bed. Tanner had never been so fussed over in his life. While Seb gently washed the dirt from his scrapes, Fauna sat with her arms around him and stroked his hair. Princess Felicita came in and magically healed the wounds in less than five minutes. She apologized for her son and pressed Tanner's hand before leaving the child's bedroom. Why did she apologize for Zay? It was his dragon who was acting up. The great tamer pulled out a set of pajamas for the little boy and sighed. <sighs> Dragons tend to reflect their tamer's emotions. We're linked that way. And Kruor is still young. Dragons at that age can be rather impulsive and volatile. He's Zay's responsibility, though. Tanner ran his fingers over the heels of his palms, where his wounds were healed. If the great tamer hadn't stepped in. Fauna kissed his head and asked him to get changed so she could read him a bedtime story. Thanks for listening to Chapter 59, Part 1 of A Dragon Tamer's Fable, and thank you for supporting the podcast so far. I hope you're enjoying it. 
If you are, please share, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews help more people find the podcast, so it's a huge help. And if you're able to give a DTF an extra hand, please check out the merch and support tabs on the website. To stay up to date on content, check out a DTF podcast on Instagram or Facebook. As always, feel free to email dragontamerpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so don't be shy. Until next time, keep slaying anything but dragons. Dragons.